Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Doug Ramshaw, CEO of TSXD listed Minera Alamos. And if you want our thoughts and opinions on that conversation and the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports, commentary from market experts from around the world on a variety of commodities and companies. There are training videos on there. There are summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you a little bit of time. And of course, there's our thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, safe environment. So do go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Doug, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, Matt. I'm excellent, in fact. So uh, good to be back with you. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, first of all, the most important news, uh, you've had a couple of new arrivals, Shay uh, Ramshaw. How are they doing? They're doing really well. Um, they they came early, quite a bit early, uh, but uh, they should be back with us uh, from the hospital maybe maybe in the next few days. So really exciting, uh, uh, exciting news for us. Wonderful. I'm so happy for you. Genuinely happy for you. Uh, for you and um, and everything that comes with it. Well, look, we should um, start off uh, with that one minute overview of the business and I'll, I'll pick it up from there. Sure, absolutely. Minera is a mind development team. Uh, we are focused in Mexico and are just about to leave that development word behind us with our first construction due to complete in Q1 of next year first gold production Q2 of next year. Uh, thereafter, we have a series of pipeline projects. Our goal is to become a new, uh, bigger gold producer. Um, but right now, just completing the foundations at the first, you know, for the, to build, off, build out the first mine, um, solid foundation of growth thereafter. Um, and obviously for us, I think, you know, I've said, I think to you before, the best way to play a gold market, should you be lucky enough to get one, is, is to be producing the stuff. So uh, we're really excited to be, be on the cusp of that first gold production. Fantastic. Producer in 2021. Nice timing. Um, I, I, we did a bit of research uh, around this uh, conversation. And, and I want to ask you a question. I don't know if you've been asked this before, but can you tell me? What, how influential uh, or what is the influence of Chester Miller in terms of the way that you go about doing your business at Manera Alamos? Chester uh, is an amazing gentleman. And I'm very happy to say that I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago. I'd reached out just to check on his health uh, some months ago. A few weeks ago, he called me and he's doing very well. He's 93 and uh, is still producing gold from a little mine he's built in Georgia. And I hope he never stops producing gold because he'll probably outlive it all. Chester is the grandfather, godfather, whatever you want to call it, of, of heat leach. Um, and that started very early on in his, in his career. So the funny thing about Chester is, uh, he, he doesn't like regulators. He doesn't like, you know, exchange rules. He doesn't like um, 43101. He's, he, you know, he, he should be wearing a cowboy hat because, you know, he has his approach, but he's incredibly good at it. And he's his actual approach has led to him making, you know, uh, decisions to build mines, which have turned into very big mines, and to start companies, which have turned into very big companies as a result of the foundation uh, that he put in place. So, I mean, the fact I, you know, without really thinking about it, I'm, I'm talking 
in using certain words for him that I've just described our company with, I would say, you know, he's been very influential in me. I, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to not just have known him, but to work with a, a, a legend like that. Um, that being and Santana has all his fingerprints on in terms of, I mean, we're not cowboys, but the work that he did before we took over was very much kind of, let's just get this thing up and running which is why we started with the bulk heap leach test, or he started with that and we completed that. And in fact, the legacy of that is we have tremendous data. You counter that with the fact that his, his drive was just get it into production. And so it might appear to the market that we've, we've missed a lot of steps along the way, which we haven't. Uh, we have all that internal data, uh, but maybe as an homage to uh, to Mr. Miller, uh, it was like, that's right, Chester, we'll just get up, get this up and running and we won't have a technical report initially. It will be coming in Q2 of next year. So um, maybe there's a bit of influence, certainly on the first project. Um, but yeah, it's been a thrill with him. It, yeah, I, I just thought it was, in, it was interesting to see, as you say, his, his fingerprints on... Minera Alamos in in, in, a, in a small way because he we are, we're looking at glance gold Eldoro gold etc and of course as you say he is the sort of grandfather of of, of heat bleach which because um, it's not just you that's been influenced but Darren as well from what I can see so the two of you could have got the same attitude about how to approach this and that's what that's what's interesting me about your story well yeah well Darren worked with Chester as well in Castle Gold because it was a merger of one of Darren's companies than one of Chester's. Uh, Chester had more gain minerals and Darren had Origin Resort that had a small heap beach in Guatemala. And it was a cash flow the, for that that funded uh, the building of El Castillo in, uh, in Castle Gold. And what's interesting is uh, El Castillo in Castle Gold was in Chester's company, Morgan, as was La Fortuna. Santana was something that Chester saw and beat Darren to the punch when he initially got involved with Corex. Now, you know, Chester has an eye on projects at work. And when you think about his projects have built companies like Glamour Gold that sold to Gold Corp for bit and started working with John McCluskey at Alamos Gold and Eldorado Gold, and the list goes on. Um, he really had, it's not just about his, his, the way he builds these things. He has a nose for the projects that work. And I think that's what's, what's crucial in a business where even the, the percentage of projects that turn into mines, not all mines work. Chester has a, a remarkable history of like, having that nose for the ones that make money. And Heat Leach said this on Twitter recently, so I will repeat myself for your audience. Heat Leach is not glamorous for the high grade chasing junkies out there, but it makes good mind companies, you know, if, if done right. Well, I think, again, this is what informs the discussion that, that, that I want to have with you today, because if you look, if you look at Castle Gold and El Castillo, it was 0.36 of a gram per tonne. But with heat leach, low capex, et cetera, it was very profitable. And I'm seeing that kind of picture when you're talking about Santana and obviously the, the new project Cerro de Oro. Um, so maybe we should move on to those projects because I'm, I'm looking to see what, what lessons of the past can inform us about these projects. Because I think my, my 
one of one small criticism of you guys is you don't put a lot of technical information out there, so it's it's hard to work out what you're doing. So why don't we? Because your first project was La Fortuna, but I think your number one project now is Santana, followed very quickly by Sara de Oro. Can you can you just talk us through why you've sort of changed the sequence and focus of, of attention to you know to, to that? Yeah, um, I mean. Cerro like Santana, will be a very, you know, simple heat bleach build, low capex build, you know, likely 10, 12 million Canadian. Uh, so La Fortuna, you know, which we did do a PA on in, 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 at lower gold prices in 2018, you know, that project has modest market, ca um, modest capex for a 50,000 ounce a year operation at 27 million US, but it's almost you know, three and a half times what an El Castillo, uh, CDO or um, Santana would cost to build. So it also has a slightly longer construction time. You know, it's putting a mill back together. It's more complex than building a heap leach, which is largely earthworks with our small carbon plant we put in, pads, ponds, and contract mining. So we can get that one up and running very quickly at lower cost. It has a bigger starting resource. And the one we came out with this just recently will get quite a bit bigger in, in due course. But Tuna almost needs uh, a little bit of exploration thrown at it. Uh, you know, we did that PEA just off a high grade five year starter pit, fantastic pit, sub 500 uh, ASIC. Um, but it would be better to have a project that at least is starting with a six, seven, eight year, well, say seven or eight year mine life as opposed to five. Um, so, so Cerro fits for, for so many reasons uh, in sequencing first. And, and it will be, when we have that built, it will be a, a testimony, not just to our team, but actually the jurisdiction we operate in. Because there are very few jurisdictions in the world where in August, 2020, you can, you can acquire a, a gold project with no permits on and within two years be producing gold from it, which is our goal by the by by summer of 2022. Um, and yeah, so it, it's just a natural sequencing for it. I think people will realize now that they've seen this initial resource, why that's the case. Yeah. And it just, it just, well, actually, can you tell us a little bit about um, CDO, as you're calling it, Sarah de Oro? Because again, we, you've been a little bit more open with regards to the numbers there. And we've had to kind of retrofit some of that thinking and process into the Santana numbers to kind of get an idea of the heat leach component of what you've got. So, yeah, if you CDO initially, can you just talk us through what you've got there? Yeah, I, you know, it, it's funny. When we first announced the deal, it was like, once again, I'm tiptoeing around the lack of a resource number, and I made sure the market knew very quickly to be coming out with a resource note on it. We are not scared of technical reports. Um, there's there's lots of reasons why Santana's being built without one, and we can come back to that. But in the case of Cerro Dororo, um, when I was doing my tap dancing, the one thing that I felt comfortable with was and and stated we felt that the initial resource was going to be bigger better grade and lower strip than uh when darren built el castillo el castillo was uh as you said 0.3 of a gram um you know started with about three three hundred and fifty thousand ounces and probably a one and a half to one strip in comparison we're seeing obviously a below strip on this higher grade higher start 
Um, and that technical report should be out within a couple of weeks so that people can really look into the numbers we came up with. But we wanted a very conservative base case. So using 1450 gold, um, you know, we are our mining costs that we're using in that resource are higher, considerably higher for that resource than we know we're going to get at Santana. But, you know, I think when you're first putting out a project, it's important to have a conservative base case. And then as you refine data, work work up the numbers from there. So, um yeah, it, it, it will be a very, you know, it's a very simple run of mine heat bleach project. Um, plenty of land that we have around it for building heat bleach pads and stuff. Um, and and we'll be similar to Santana. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with producing loaded carbon, not building an ADR there. So we can keep the CapEx numbers very similar to what we're, we're expecting to be the final numbers at Santana. Okay. I mean, heat bleach, you say it's kind of simple process, but again, I'll quote Chester Miller here, said, you know, it, it can be extremely cheap, but it, um, it can also be quite difficult. Um, how do you, you know, I think he talks about you put, put a plastic sheet on the ground, you know, crush up some ore and throw some water on it, I think was his, his approach. I know, but it's a little bit more complicated than that, you know, because you've got leach kinetics to work out. You've got to, you know, step by step, work out what's the right, right for that ore body. So um, that process that you're going to go through, are you, are you able to, um, as, uh, CDO and Santana, follow pretty much the same sort of process or do they need to operate uh, separately? I mean, how, how do you go about it technically? No, I mean, the projects themselves will run very similarly. Um, in terms of the, the crucial thing with heat bleach, I think more than anything else, is the metallurgical characteristics of your your ore. Uh, at Santana, we were very lucky. We had a 50,000-ton bulk heat bleach pad there at site. Um, there is no amount of lab testing you could do that would give you anything like an understanding of how this ore leaches as having a pad at site. At Cerrado Oro CDO, um, there was a lot of historical work done, a lot of bottle roll tests, a lot of column tests, um, and we will act, we will be doing more met work in the new year. But I think the secret, I'm very lucky, I work with him day in, day out, is Darren. Darren is, a, you know, I've started saying he's an exceptional metallurgist. He's not just a good metallurgist. He's He really, he's, he's the reason I sleep at night and, and I've conveyed that holders are, I think, feel very comfortably as well. He's he's the brains of the operation, without a doubt, with his team in Mexico. And and metallurgy can be the Achilles heel, more often than not, of so many projects. Um, and so, for example, at Cerro Dororo, the difference between that and El Castillo was the sulfide didn't leach at El Castillo. They were both Naranda gold discoveries from the 1990s. El Castillo, the sulfide didn't leach. When Darren starts talking about the uh, the likelihood of leaching at the big sulfide resource we think can be there at Cerador, that gives me a lot of comfort. I mean, everything about him with dealing with heat leach gives me a lot of comfort. Um, we talk about other projects out there all the time, sometimes because we're looking at them, sometimes because we're looking at what can go wrong. And it's amazing how how on some projects we'll, we'll kind of pull apart just on the mat. So... You know, it really does help uh, that, you know, we our CEO is a metallurgist when dealing with heat bleach. Okay. Can you talk to me about Santana? Because you said we'll come back to that later with regards to why why the lack of numbers um, being produced there. Because it, it seems to be Santana could be the cornerstone 
project for you guys, 25, 30,000 answers a year. And, and with expiration, um, you may be able to ex extend that. So what what's why, why the reticence to kind of share information with the market? But it, we, Darren and I talked about that this year. You know, the thought originally in a pre-COVID year was we wanted in the initial resource statement, we have an internal resource. It's just, it was just never formalized by the previous operators who had gone off to do marijuana deals. Um, you know, that I think during their time in history with the project, sometimes resources can kill the mystery of a project. In our case, as a you know, wanting to produce from it, it's incredibly important. It's no, you, you create more mystery by not having one that can be detrimental, to your point. Um, Pre-COVID, the thought was our phase three drilling, we wanted to incorporate all of that into the maiden resource, uh, not just for the, the Nicho pipe that we're developing on, but we wanted to show the upside on the property. And Darren and I have talked about it in hindsight, maybe we should have just got the initial one out um, and then added to it at a later date. But we haven't, and, and, and we're fine, and we are very comfortable with that. But it, it's created more, more of a challenge for me than Darren, because I'm the one talking to people like you, um, uh, dealing with the lack of, of that. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's something that's coming. We are completing our phase three drilling now that will be incorporated into it. And, every, you know, I've talked to Darren about our need in, to have a, you know, quarter of a million dollar line item in our budgets moving forward for 43101 reports. And I think more importantly, updates to 43101 reports, because if you're not going to have an economic study, you almost need to have an annual updated resource report so that as we increase the production profile, it's no, no one can see or, or think that it's at the expense of mine life. Oh, they're juicing a few years. The whole point about these projects is that they can grow, and as they grow, the resource profile grows. Now, some of that expansion just comes naturally as a, as a consequence of mining. So you mentioned 25,000, 30,000 ounces a year. Yes, that's the first year's kind of production target for Santana. But without any expansion, just with those open pits, you know, opening up in year two, it gets up to a steady state 45, 50,000 ounces a year. Thereafter, it will be about expiration upside. But if we never find another ounce, you know, all our projects would make a bunch of money and then you've got to go and find something else to deploy that capital into. Okay. What was it? Buy on the mystery, sell on the history. Is that, right? Is that what I heard? <laughs> I, I don't want it. Uh, I mean, the expiration upside is the mystery, and I, I love the fact that we have great upside on our projects, but I want the resource out. It will be out in the first half of next year. Is that, and the reason I brought up this Chester Miller question right at the beginning, because I just see so many parallels to things he said and the way you're behaving, okay? So around the resource, you know, he was, he was not one for spending a dollar trying to prove up a resource which may come out of the ground in 10 years time he wanted to get into immediate production you know get into production sooner quicker cheaper all of those things which you're doing and i think the market's reacting to those things because you, your share price has held up exceptionally well compared to your peers who are down 20 25 percent over the last couple of months as the um you know the, the precious metal market has fallen away a bit so do you think that that is resonating with your shareholders are, you know, 
on the retail side or the institutional side? Uh, well, yes. Um, uh, I, clearly, I, I, uh, I, I can't prop up a, a company like this. So it, it's our shareholders and the and and the market. I mean, to before we're talking about them. I mean, to your point about Chester, he didn't mind drilling. I mean, he did a bunch of drilling at Santana. The key thing that is in in line with probably the thing that's closest aligned with Chester's way of thinking is neither us nor he felt there was ever a need to drill out the global resource on a property and then scale something around that. You know, it's go after projects which can be built in a modular manner. Now, in terms of the the market, yeah, I think it's resonating. And I've, I've thought long and hard about this because... Um, I think the reason why our company is, is performing the way it is, is, is actually ju- jurisdiction. A lot of it comes back to jurisdiction. Um, and Cerradoro has highlighted that. The permitting environment in Mexico, I mean, the geological prospectivity there is fantastic for the kinds of projects we like. But there are very few jurisdictions in the world where you could pick up an asset like Cerador and have it in production within two years. And so when we're building out our pipeline of projects, not only can those individual projects grow organically, but even if they didn't, our growth profile is there because realistically, Mexico offers you an environment where you can say, we can build three mines over the next four years. Uh, whereas in Canada, you're probably struggling through the permitting process and construction of mine number one. Um, so, you know, and permitting is probably one of the greatest challenges the mining industry is going to be facing moving forward. And so operating in a jurisdiction which makes the, the permitting side of things, um, you know, good actually allows you to have a realistic profile. There are a lot of gold producers who will say, yes, we're building the next mid-tier or we're going to get to 200,000 ounces. But then you've got to look at it and go, yeah, but how long is that really going to take? We can do it actually very rapidly in Mexico. And it's all about permitting. No, absolutely. We we had um, Jose Habalero on, who was from Minister uh, Ministry of uh, Economics, uh, which... I think obviously the, the the mining rules and regs are stemmed from, but they were talking about putting the application process online so that companies could see where they were in the process and remove perhaps the the opportunity for um, for people to you know hold their hand out for for bribes or whatever corruption I think he called it. So no, it's and it, Mexico is an interesting place at the moment for for um, miners from North America to operate. And I, I get that. Can I come back to some of the, the, where the question was going, which is really around the institutional side of things, oh. okay? Um, yeah. Which is, you know, you've got a Cisco as a partner there, obviously, and there's, there's a couple of other funds, Aegis and a couple of other funds in there. But what do you think that they're going to need to see? Because this kind of unconventional process that you're going through, which you, you know, we were going through the process of explaining why, and it seems to be working. Institutions, do they are they nervous about your approach, or are they just letting you get on with it? Uh, no, they're not nervous. Um, we've just added a whole bunch. So the, the only way I was going to do that funding around Cerro was was to get really good visibility from the bankers at National Bank, as it turned out, on the right mining institutions. 
um, who have now taken some toehold positions. Some have added in the market post that. Um, they're very they're very comfortable uh, because they've got very comfortable with our team. Uh, and I think uh, the story is going to become more institutional uh, as we build Santana. It becomes less of a leap of faith as people see the financial quarters coming off it. It won't take as much of a leap of faith for the next one. Um, and the reality is there isn't a huge competition amongst companies wanting to build mines. So if you're a fund that really wants to not be taking Hail Marys on expiration plays, but actually look at real business in action, um, that's that's how we set ourselves up. And it's interesting, Donald Smith and Aegis are, are two of our big U.S. generalist investors. Uh, I've tailored our presentations to appeal more actually to a generalist investor than a mining fund. Uh, now we're getting both. But I think it's really important because I think this is where the mining industry lost track of itself in the 2000s, where it started not focusing on on the bottom line. And it was all about how many resources in the ground have you got and how much is your headline production? Um, but they could be bleeding red on the bottom line. So, so everything about how I present the story is to the generalist investor. We are making widgets. They just happen to be made of gold. Um, you know, and I, I know it sounds simplistic but really you know i think that's the the important message the mining industry should be doing and i think the majors are doing a fantastic job over the last few years of showing the generalist investor that it's it's all about you know share buybacks and dividends and not doing crazy MA. i think that will come um because they won't be able to help themselves and, and they've got declining production pro profiles and resource bases so they have to do MA. but you're even seeing this a lot of the M&A we're talking about now are mergers of equals. Well, Corex and Monero was a merger of equals two and a half years ago. It was it was slamming two $25 million companies together where you looked at it and said, the value gets created by, by bringing these two companies together. So no one set of shareholders should expect a premium. The premium is going to be through delivery from those two companies. And, and you're seeing that with the Argonauts, Alios, the Tarangas, Endeavors. And I think that's a really smart way the industry is going. And I'm glad that we did that two and a half years ago because it set the base for what we're doing right now. It, yeah, it, it definitely has. Um, can you talk to me about cost? Because I think one of the things I was, again, concerned about when I you know, first came across this story was the, the low capex number being attributed to the plant, right? Very low. I mean, tell, tell me how, remind me why that number is so low. How have you kept that figure? There's two parts of the plant, but we're not we're not building a refinery at site and, and everything that goes with that. So instead, we are building what is a very simple carbon plant. Um, you know, uh, the the you know it's we're fabricating carbon columns there. Um, uh, a small sea can is almost used as as like an office uh, thing. It's it's not. It's just efficient to to do it that way. I mean, and and carbon recovery is is the the cheaper part of if you were producing dore at site. You know, not having the whole absorption desorption refinery at site is a big cost saving. And it's so instead of having that capex, we have slightly higher op costs, and they're only slightly higher because. 
to ship and strip our loaded carbon, it costs us about $10 an ounce. Now, some of that cost, even if you were doing it at site, would still be at site. So it's not like it's a you're adding $10 to, but, but we'd rather take a slight hit on our op costs and not have all that upfront capital, uh, notwithstanding the fact that if in the good parts of Mexico where, where we like to operate, if you're producing Dory at site, your security costs are going up higher than probably that $10 an ounce anyway. So, so I actually think it, ultimately it's probably a wash on op cost coupled with a saving on, on the upfront capital of building a refinery. So Santana and um, Sarah de, de Oro, you will be producing Dore in country? No, in, in both instances initially, there will just be a basic carbon plant producing loaded carbon that will get shipped. Right now, we ship to Metals Research in Idaho okay. that, that strip the gold carbon. Now, we've talked about once you've got a couple of these up and running, do we buy some industrial land or rent some industrial land outside Hermosillo, say, for example, pick a, pick a place and build in a very secure location an in-country refinery where we ship our loaded carbon in-country. And there will be a saving for that for sure. Um, but but that's something that would be a, a goal once we've got a couple of these up and running. Well, that's what's, sorry, that's what I should have phrased that question, but I just wondered where it was going with those two projects because with um, La Fortuna, that's a very different process, isn't it? It's it would probably need to be shipped out of country too. So, have you have you kind of gone so far as to thinking, you know, how how do you kind of process La Fortuna? Yeah, we have um, half the gold is actually recovered by gravity there, and we'll actually create a concentrate to ship. The other, uh, you know, roughly fifty percent of the precious metals report to kind of an off-spec copper con, 17, 18% copper con, largely valued by for, for its precious metal content. We, you know, a couple of years ago, we started talking to a very good concentrate trader that's very close to our group. Um, and, you know, they'll work with us on marketing the copper con, which, you know, and, and believe we'll get some value for the copper, but really it's, it's, it, the, the values in the precious metals uh, contained within it. So again, slightly different, more complex. It's a milling operation uh, to deal with that higher grade we have at Fortuna. Um, and as such, it's another reason why we don't mind sequencing it back behind the simple heat leach builds initially. Okay, okay. So like 2021, pouring first gold, obviously very, very exciting, um, but you need to kind of keep this ball rolling. So 2022, you're getting another asset into production. What is the timing on La Fortuna or are we going to be looking at more M&A? But, you know, is La, is La Fortuna in the, in the plans? Yeah, it, it is. Um, and for all the reasons we've, we've discussed, it's, it's why it's pushed back, but it, it hasn't been uh, discarded and it's not going to sit on, on a shelf gathering dust. There's even if we lose some value, nav value for, for pushing it back a year or 18 months, we can bring value forward by adding mine life there, uh, remodeling it for higher gold prices, you know, capturing, I think, a, a larger initial mine life, which makes them more sense for it to, to come on stream. Uh, and we know, like all our other projects, um, Fortuna has the capacity, in fact, our permits were 
to the permitted capacity of the mill of 2,000 tons a day. So Fortuna can grow a lot of those PEA numbers if we demonstrate the resource base that's there. Um, in terms of sequencing in a perfect world, which we certainly don't live in right now, um, you know, yes, we're looking at Santana come on next year. Uh, we'll get permit sub uh, submission applications submitted early in the new year for Cerradora. With the permitting environment in Mexico, we're hoping to have those permits that will allow construction to commence at Cerradora, you know, maybe Q4 of next year. So as Santana spitting off some free cash, you know, it can support the funding of Cerradora. The real question comes, how aggressive do we want to be? Do we have some parallel development of Fortuna and Cerradora? Or do we want to sequence these things um, and not have hiccups from trying to do too much too quickly? Personally, building three mines in four years is a very good profile. I don't think we need to accelerate that any more than that, which would allow us to consider building Fortuna, maybe start that beginning of 2023. So it's coming on stream right at the beginning of 2024. Um, it, that timeline could be pushed up. Uh, but I'm of the opinion, especially with growth that we see at the first two projects already, that there is no reason to try to, to do too much too quickly. That, that would be a very, very aggressive and, and, and beneficial production profile. So maybe 2024 Fortuna can come on stream. Okay. But it's a, maybe a bigger operation. Understood, understood. Okay, so if you raise 15 million back in September, that's good. That's enough to kind of get you into um, first pour. Is that right? Uh, not just first pour. Like we're sitting, financials came out last night. So we're sitting on around, uh, we have no debt. The debt was retired. Um, uh, so we have about 22 million in cash as of right now. I think I've uh, coupled with a few million dollars worth of a non-core equity investment. That's enough not just to get Santana built, but with existing treasury, allow us to do this work on the other projects and still have cash by the time Cerradoro comes around. So we will put a working capital facility in place. Darren and I actually believe we won't need it, but I think it's smart to have one in place. Um, and so the plan is, yes, it's why I raised an extra five in, in uh, September was to give us that luxury of, of really being in a position where we don't have to go back to the market potentially to build our first two projects. And when those up and running, then they can conceivably fund the development of project number three. Okay. Have you got a view of the market next year? Gold price, silver, what's happening? Do you care? I mean, you know, I, I don't really because... Um, uh, like like our, our peers at Rio too, and Alex, he said it quite correctly. It's 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 about building a project that works at lower gold prices. He he models his at lower prices. We do. Companies need to stress test projects. Whatever market we're in for right now isn't going to last forever. Um, I'm not one of those big believers of five thousand dollar gold. In fact, the world is not a very nice place if we have five thousand dollar gold. So. Um, I think what people forget, because we've been so inundated with COVID-related headlines for the last seven months, is gold had very good tailwinds going back to June 2019, pre-COVID. So the outlook for gold is good. Is it COVID-amplified good? 
um, or is it just on the trajectory it already was? Either of those is very beneficial for us. I mean, I it's hard to imagine that uh, gold can't stay in a, in a relatively strong bull market for the next couple of years with, with what's happened in the, in the global economy. Um, but we're also insulated by, by building projects that can do very well in lower gold prices as well. Are you going to take advantage of the Mexican government's new police force for mines? You've seen this. Um, you can rent them. Yeah, I, I have. And I mean, they need to take... They need to, and AMLO has tried to, to take a, a bit of a crackdown to cartels. Um, the interesting thing is the cartels right now, it's, I think it's less about their actual product. And, you know, in mob movies, you always see there's the boss and then, then he has his captains and then they have their soldiers. And in the cartels, it's not that different. So, and the problem is, Unlike what is the Trump administration would say is most drugs go across at ports of entry in the U.S. And with traffic travel bans in place, it's made it very hard for the cartels. So you've seen a lot of, sure, the bosses are fine and their haciendas, and I'm, I'm sure the captains do well. But those soldiers are like resorting to petty crime. Like if in the south of the country, a lot of fuel theft is go, goes on and trucks get stolen because they still have to make ends meet. I don't think they're pushing money up the, up the chain as much as they otherwise would. Um, so I think there's a need, uh, you know, car, you know, to, to tackle cartels and, and violence and stuff. It's been long overdue in Mexico. AMLO is trying to make steps. I think, the problem with with the current pandemic is a lot of government initiatives, you know, are going to take second, you know, play second fiddle to to the more pressing uh, goal. So it's it's nice to see, um, and and I think even though northern Mexico is a better part of Mexico to operate in, it needs those kinds of initiatives. Um, there's there there are new um, garrisons being put in place in in places like Sonora and that's that's going to be good for us and Agnico and Alamos and and any other operator in Sonora. So which I think is I think it's interesting that these initiatives by the Mexican government they realize the, the importance of, of mining to uh, the economy etc and last question it's about a Cisco. A Cisco have had you know new management new ideas moving th- moving things around there's a, lot, there's a lot of variables at play here. Are you um, in conversation with them about, because they hold, what are they, 16, 17% of um, your stock at the moment? Any conversations with them? Well, I mean, uh, that stock as of yesterday actually moved over to the new development company that Sean uh, is, is running, uh, Cisco Developments. And I, I know in the transcripts, uh, uh, they, they talked about it being a strategic holding. It's, it represents about half the equity book that went over. Um, and probably of all those equity positions, we're the most al- aligned with Sean's way of thinking. I mean, like He's a bit of a kindred spirit to Darren. He's a mind builder at heart. I think he likes to build things. That's what we do. Um, you know, I've, I've got some thoughts with regard to that block. Uh, you know, uh, I, haven't, I haven't broached these with Sean, but uh, I, I looked at what Orion did with, with Victoria Gold's, uh, the big equity position they had at, at one point, and they did a secondary to help 
expand institutional ownership in Victoria Gold Story. I'd love to further my institutional holders in Monera, but I'm not going to do a financing purely to place institutions if I don't need the money. So a large strategic block like that, you know, is potentially enticing to institutions. And I know because I've had institutions talk to me about it, you know, and I would love to have a blend of, of, of Sean as a shareholder and some larger funds that can maybe take advantage of that. But right now, you know, we, we will always, Darren has always been very much someone that will give Sean metallurgical advice on things and everything else. It's a great relationship we, sh we still have. Sean's a huge supporter of us. Um, they're, they're, they're a great shareholder. We are not where we are in this cycle, about to capture the front end of a gold cycle without the support of a Cisco. And at the same time, we've also kind of outgrown the need for a lot of that early support. And they've been a great beneficiary alongside our shareholders, you know, from, from all those efforts. So, um, you know, I think in the, mean in, in the short to medium term, the status quo will remain in, in that regard. And we're happy to have Sean as a big shareholder of the company still. Brilliant. Oh, oh, you've got a special announcement. Are you ready for this, people? Are you I ready? Do. It's not a contest or anything, so I'm sorry about that. But, you know, we just talked about one of the largest shareholders. I'd like to give a personal shout out to Vivian Whitney, um, one of our smaller shareholders, but just as important. Without people like Vivian, you know, uh, the company, we can't do what we do. Uh, for fun, for a living. Um, and so uh, Vivian is, is uh, I, w I won't mention her age, she looks 60, but she uh, she's right up there, and uh, but doesn't look it. And uh, Vivian, uh, I hope you're well. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Matt and myself. So thank you for your support and all our shareholders. Well said, well said. Doug, thank you very much. We'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.